my name is Father Edward Looney, and you are listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a weekly podcast that will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. My Queen, my Mother, I give myself entirely to you, and to show my devotion to you, I consecrate to you this day my eyes, my ears, my mouth, my heart, my entire self, without reserve. As I am your own, my good mother, guard me and defend me as your property and possession. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our opening prayer today came from the book My Queen, My Mother, A Living Novena, A Marian Pilgrimage Across America by Marge Fenelon. She'll be our guest in the second half of our show as she breaks open our understanding of Marian pilgrimage. During the month of May, we'll be doing a thematic series on the topic of Marian shrines and pilgrimage. Marge will kick it off for us this month as we talk about the different Marian shrines that she writes about in her book. And then we'll talk with other guests about various Marian shrines and their devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Let us now turn our attention to trending Marian tweets and topics. On April 30th, the Church celebrated the Feast of Pope Pius V. Father Darren Schmidt tweeted, Having promoted the 15 mysteries of the Rosary, Pope St. Pius V called upon all Christians to pray for the decisive naval victory at Lepanto to stem the Muslim invasion of Europe in the 1500s. May he and Our Lady of Victory Pray for persecuted Christians around the world today. We know that there is a lot of persecution of believers all throughout the world, and so it is a good thing for us to call to mind the fact that the Rosary helped to overcome Christian persecution and preserve the legacy of Catholicism to this very day. May 1st marked not only the Feast of St. Joseph the Worker, but it also was the beginning of the month of Mary. Pope Francis tweeted at Pontifex, he says, In many countries, May is the month of Mary. May the Mother of God accompany us and protect Christians in fighting against the forces of evil. Let us entrust ourselves to her and pray for the Church and for peace in the world. Father Nick, OFM Conventual, at FRNickOFMCONV, tweeted, Happy 1st of May, month dedicated to Our Lady. If you don't pray the rosary or the whole rosary, May is a great time to start. I started praying every day in October of 2017, and it certainly has changed my faith life. Feel free to ask a question or share a rosary pro tip. Of course, in this month of May, it is a time in which we increase our devotion to the Blessed Mother. Maybe that happens in your parish through the May crowning. Maybe it happens by saying, I want to read a book about the Blessed Mother this month. I want to visit one of the Marian shrines in my backyard. I want to pray the rosary every day. Whatever it is, this is a month for us to say, Mary, I love you as my mother. How fitting, especially here in the United States as we celebrate Mother's Day this upcoming weekend. As I mentioned, some parishes are doing their annual May crownings this time of year, in which maybe the First Communion students or someone else places a crown of flowers atop the Blessed Virgin Mary, perhaps singing the nostalgic hymn, Bring Flowers of the Rarest, Bring Flowers of the Fairest. Crowning the Blessed Mother is an age-old practice, and although it went by the wayside for some years, it now is making a forceful return. 
Friar Nick, getting his second shout-out on the show today, says, She's so beautiful. This is my favorite statue of Mary. It's at a chapel in the Franciscan Monastery in D.C. May crowning is a lovely way to recognize Mary in the month of May. Maybe if you have a statue of the Blessed Mother, you want to present flowers. Maybe you can't make a crown yourself, but we can at least bring flowers to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Lots of people will bring these ex voto flowers to the Blessed Mother. Again, another way in which we honor her. A lot of people have talked about the rosary. St. Louis de Montfort said, When we pray the Hail Mary, we present a rose to the Blessed Mother. And when we pray the rosary, then we present a bouquet of flowers. So there's the spiritual bouquet of flowers, but then also there is the actual bringing of flowers to the Blessed Mother. Bishop Strickland, the Bishop of Tyler, Texas, tweeted this about Mary. The most influential woman in human history? Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. She had no authority, no wealth, no power, no position but her yes to the will of God. She welcomed God's Son among us. We honor her and proclaim Jesus is Lord. Imagine what that simple yes of the Blessed Virgin Mary accomplished in the world. It truly is something worthy of our honor, and that is why we honor her, especially during this month of May, but really all throughout the year, recognizing her role and her place in salvation history. As you can imagine, the month of May is a month in which many people write articles about the Blessed Virgin Mary on the various popular Catholic websites on the website Althea. Larry Peterson wrote an article entitled, Do You Know Our Lady of America? Of course, I often talk about Our Lady of Good Help, this Wisconsin apparition in which the Queen of Heaven appeared to Adele Brees. Our Lady's apparition in Champion, Wisconsin, is the only church-approved apparition so far in the history of the United States. Our Lady of America could become the second approved Marian apparition should there be a commission that investigates the authenticity of the apparition and the content of the messages and the life of the visionary. Our Lady of America has devotees such as Raymond Cardinal Burke, who penned a letter in 2007 recommending devotion to Our Lady of America. It is one of the few apparitions of Our Lady in the United States that has not received condemnation like other apparitions like Nisida and Bayside. Philip Kozlowski, a very popular writer on Althea, was busy writing about the Blessed Mother in the past few days. He wrote an article titled, Eight Lesser Marian Feasts in the Month of May. He includes them saying, Queen of Poland, Our Lady of Lebanon, Our Lady of Europe, Our Lady of the Rosary of Pompeii, Our Lady of China, Our Lady of Mercy, Our Lady Help of Christians, Our Lady of Good Delivery. Not only did he mention Mary as Queen of Poland in this article, but he wrote a second article about Mary as the Queen of Poland. Phil Kozlowski wrote a third article that I came across on Althea entitled Mary's Last Words in the Bible and What They Mean for Us, reflecting on the words, do whatever he tells you. Lastly, Sorab Amari tweeted an article from the National Review by Catherine Jean Lopez, an interview she conducted with Gary Jansen, which brought my attention to a new book about the Blessed Mother, the homilies of Pope Francis about Mary. I quickly ordered the book from Amazon and can't wait to read it and to see the many reflections of our Holy Father about the Blessed Virgin Mary. 
I'll post a link to all these articles in the show notes for this podcast, for this episode, so that if you're curious and want to learn more, that you might be able to do so with great ease. Let's now take a short break listening to the music of Anna Nuzzo, and when we come back, we'll speak with Marge Fenlin about her book, My Queen, My Mother, A Living Novena, Marian Pilgrimage Across America. Stay tuned. I'm very excited to be speaking with Marge Fenelon about her latest book, My Queen, My Mother, A Living Novena, A Marian Pilgrimage Across America, which is published by Ave Maria Press. Marge is a best-selling Catholic author, award-winning journalist, and a popular speaker, and she's the author of several books on Marian devotion and Catholic spirituality, including Imitating Mary and the award-winning Our Lady Undoer of Knots Novena, which features reflections from the Holy Land. Marge is also a member of the Mariological Society of America, to which I belong as well, and so it's just always a joy to speak about the Blessed Mother. And in past episodes of this show, we've interviewed different guests about books that they've written, but for this time, we're interviewing a guest about a book specifically about the Blessed Mother. And so welcome to the show, Marge Fenlin. Well, it's great to be here, Father. Thank you. I'm glad. I'm really grateful. I am for the invitation. So in your little biography, I mentioned you have a few other Marian titles that you've written. So this isn't your first book on Marian devotion. You've done the Imitating Mary, which I actually facilitated a book study with some moms in my parish back in Oshkosh when I was the parochial vicar there, and they received that book quite well. And you also have done the Our Lady Undoer of Knots intertwining reflections from your trip to the Holy Land and the knots there and uh, seeking the intercession of Our Lady. But you've also written a recent book about the Blessed Mother that I was just enamored by, I fell in love with, uh, called Forgiving Mother. And Maybe I thought to start just to talk a little bit about Forgiving Mother and the basic premise of that, because in our lives, we all have someone we need to forgive. And I think your book can help people to move on that path of forgiveness. Oh, absolutely. And and I'm very glad that you caught that insight. That was exactly what I'd hoped with the book. In my case, yes, it, it has to do literally with forgiving my mother. But But the things that I've learned and the things that I relate through the lessons I've learned in the book can apply to any situation in which we have been hurt or harmed by someone and need to forgive. The the premise of the book itself is to reach out or allow Mary to reach 
to us because sometimes it's not so easy to reach out to her to allow her to guide us and help us to heal from the woundedness that that has incurred from you know, could be abuse neglect any number of of painful experiences and as i said in my case particularly with my my mother but but to allow her to guide us to heal but then ultimately to completely forgive and find that peace that we can only find in real forgiveness kind of shifting to the next segment of our conversation about my queen my mother a living novena a marian pilgrimage across america one of the things that I know about you is that you're a member of this movement of spirituality called Schoenstatt. And, of course, they have these shrines all throughout the world, especially here in Wisconsin. There are a few, one in Madison, maybe one or two in the Milwaukee area. And uh, maybe that's a place of pilgrimage, especially for the people of the Schoenstatt movement. But could you share just a little bit about Schoenstatt and the movement of spirituality and its history Oh, I, I would love to. It's it's very much a it's a lay ecclesia movement. So, in other words, it's it's a movement that is dedicated to the Blessed Mother, but not only the Blessed Mother. So, what we say in in Schoenstatt is to Christ through Mary, and so we have a special place in our hearts for our Blessed Mother, but keeping in mind that she leads us to to her Son. And the movement was founded way back in 1914, so we've already celebrated our 100-year anniversary, by a priest whose name is Joseph Kentnick. He was a Palatine priest at the time. And in a nutshell, the way the movement developed was Father Kentnick was put, he was asked to be spiritual director. He was put in charge of the minor seminarians in the seminary in Schoenstatt, Germany. That's actually a place as well as the name of a movement. And in working with these young men, World War I was rapidly approaching, and he knew that these 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 guys would have to go off to war. And, and he fretted and he wondered, what can I give them to hang on to? And with lots of prayer and discussion now he wasn't a visionary by any means but but prayerful discussion with the blessed mother he discerned that what he could and should do with these young men is work with them to form a covenant of love with the blessed mother an exchange of hearts that they would give themselves to her and she would give herself to them for protection but then also of course for their souls and that from there since that was made in this little chapel in Schoenstatt, Germany, which we now know as the original Marian shrine, developed this just this worldwide movement of others who want to make their covenant of love with the Blessed Mother and who have built replica shrines. And now, you're right, that's a mainstay of the movement. What is the difference, I guess, between Marian consecration and the covenant of love that someone in the Schoenstatt movement would make? The very simplistic answer to that is the way I explain it to, to people, especially when I'm on a road and people want to know more about it. The Marian consecration is my understanding from what I've read and, and studied. It's in comparison to the Schoenstatt 
covenant of love. It's more one direction. In other words, and it's beautiful and important. So I don't ever want to discredit that. It's the complete surrender of oneself to the Blessed Mother. And that's awesome. But we've in, in Schoenstatt, what we are doing here is when you're making a covenant, a covenant is, a contract really isn't just a a, a beautiful enough name for this, but it's 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 an agreement. It's an agreement that becomes interactive. So so we surrender our hearts to the Blessed Mother. But in in Father Kentinick's way of looking at this, she being the mother that she is, isn't going. She's not just a taker. So so if we give her heart, our heart to her, she will most definitely give her heart to us. And so the, it's this mutual and interactive agreement this covenant that goes with you for the rest of your life maybe just one last thing about Shinstadt. and my understanding of the movement of spirituality is that father kentinick prayed that mary would make his home in the shrine and so almost every time that you go into one of these uh Schoenstatt shrines it's mary's presence the maternal presence of mary is there because she was invited to make her home and to live there is that is that a right understanding Oh, it's a perfect understanding, and that's exactly right. And that's another thing that makes those shrines, our our shrines, so special, because that was another facet, another dimension of this covenant of love, that it was the exchange of hearts, but then the asking of the Blessed Mother to come and dwell, not just visit, but to really dwell in the Schoenstatt Shrine. And, and so it was, it's all folded together. And that's why our shrines are so very important to us because it's our, our covenant that the covenants of all of these people around the world that keep these shrines alive. It's, we spiritually feed the shrine in the sense that our faithfulness to the Blessed Mother continues to convince her, so to speak, to remain and to dwell in these shrines. And people who have not any association with the movement whatsoever. In fact, the the uh, former bishop of of Madison, Wisconsin, uh, when he he dedicated, he was asked to dedicate the shrine there in 1954. He said publicly, "Mary whispers here," it, meaning that mm. he could feel her presence there. And we've heard that from many many people who go to visit the shrines. I can testify to that. In fact, one of the times when I was in Waukesha, I prayed at the shrine there, and I had a very powerful experience of prayer. I was in a bad spot, you could say, and just really needed to turn to God in prayer. And uh, I happened to be down there, stopped at this chapel, and really had this mystical experience, that whisper, in a sense, of the words of Mary coming into my heart and telling me everything is going to be all right. And so from that moment onward... I experienced a profound peace and kind of those words that I received in prayer that day have been something that I've gone back to over and over and over again, that they've been this continual source of consolation for me. When we talk about Schoenstatt and it being the home of Mary, of course, all these shrines that you visited as part of your book, My Queen, My Mother, A Living Novena, A Marian Pilgrimage Across America, that every time we go to a Marian shrine, it's as if we are visiting Mary's house, that she's welcoming us. She wants us to be there. She wants to love us as our mother. What inspired you to take on this project of doing a novena by visiting these nine different shrines all throughout the United States? Well, the the 
you know, this idea of visiting Marian pilgrimage places, specifically the, the Schoenstatt Shrine, it's in my DNA, so to speak. I mean, it's so, it's so a part of me because I've been visiting since I was a little child. So I always had an attraction to Marian shrines and Marian pilgrimage places. What got me to do the project was the, the 2016, leading up to the 2016 elections, which saw in our country severe divisions in, you know, ideological and political and even religious divisions. And, and we had, and we're still working through it. We, we have just so much anger and so much tearing apart and people were threatening to leave the country and on and on and on. And well, it hurt my heart because I love my country and I certainly love my faith. And so in prayer, I asked the Blessed Mother, you know, here's what, you know what I do. You know the gifts you've given me, you know, meager as they are. I'm just a simple, simple, you know, Midwest woman. But what can I, what could be my little part to turn the tide? And so going on pilgrimage came to my mind and to go and find the places in our country where our Blessed Mother has touched the land, so to speak, to find her places of grace and encourage people to do the same. And I wanted it to be also part devotional. So so for me, the natural would be a, a novena because that's such a, an important part of our Catholic prayer tradition. And so that immediately boiled it down to nine Marian pilgrimage places to visit to fit it into the novena but I could have done hundreds upon hundreds there are so many but I wanted just my little sampling to to show people number one the very rich Catholic heritage we have in the U.S. hardly anybody knows about it Hmm. second of all then to get people really on fire for our country and fall in love with our country again so there's a lot of American history and there's a lot of Catholic American history wound into the book. And then, of course, finally, to, to really fall in love maybe for the first time or re-enkindle our love for our Blessed Mother. And then, finally, the, the, the goal, uh, I don't know, I don't know if I like the word goal as much, but the, the focus of, of the novena is to consecrate ourselves again, or perhaps for the first time, to our Blessed Mother, but then our entire country and and because we really oh we must reclaim this country for our blessed mother we just must otherwise we're lost yeah it's asking mary to wrap our country from coast to coast in her mantle to to really protect it to pray for us to intercede for us yeah as you mentioned the historical dimension uh, there are lots of different things as you mentioned that we probably are unaware of one of the things you bring out and one of the things i found out when i visited our Lady of Prom Sucker down in New Orleans in Louisiana was the fact that Andrew Jackson asked the Ursuline sisters and the local women to pray as they were going into the Battle of New Orleans. And then, really, the Feast of Our Lady of Prom Sucker happened because the battle was won. The Americans defeated, the Americans were victorious, and they came back to the church there and they sang the Te Deum, they sang the praises of God. and. Your book really captures a lot of these different stories uh, related to the shrine. What surprised you the most in your travels as you visited these shrines? What was the most surprising thing you learned or found or discovered? I, I have to say the, that Andrew Jackson, the Andrew Jackson story, I, I believe for me was the most surprising because I had no idea. I knew that there was... American history and Catholic history intertwined, but I had no idea 
that that incident had occurred. But there were other there were other things that that really surprised me that maybe were not as not of the same magnitude. But but what struck me is the the blood, sweat, and tears of the original settlers, of people who came and in, in many cases were martyred, you know, that we think of the North American martyrs in the shrine of, of um, Our Lady of Martyrs in Oriesville, New York. The, the work and the, the sacrifice that went into not only establishing our country, but establishing Catholicism in our country. And again and again and again, that surprised me. And of course, the one place that that I think you and I are both drawn to is Our Lady of Good Help in Champion, Wisconsin. That is the only church-approved Marian apparition in the entire United States. And when I travel the country and give talks, people don't know about it. And it it astounds me. They don't know. It's been the the, the approval came in in 2010 from from Bishop Green Bay Bishop Ricken. People still don't know. We're nine years down the line and people still don't know about it. You mentioned the blood, sweat and tears of the early settlers, those who were involved in the very early settings of some of these marrying shrines. Of course you mentioned the champion shrine, which is the apparition and that's one type of Marian shrine, but these other shrines all throughout the country that you visited that do exist, while well, those shrines really came out of the devotion of the people, that there was a particular reason why they wanted a shrine of Our Lady of Sorrows or Our Lady of Consolation. And it's the faith and the devotion of the people that really brought about some of these devotional places and uh, spots of pilgrimage for us. But talking about the blood, sweat, and tears, I'm sure one of the things you encountered in some of these places is the blood, sweat, and tears of the volunteers of today, the people who are still trying to spread the message to invite people to Mary's Shrine, to uh, share the story of the devotion, and really to help people to have this deeper devotion uh, to the Blessed Mother. Was there any person maybe that sticks out in your mind, or maybe many of them do, that that really have given their whole lives to the promotion of these shrines? Yes, in fact, there is. And that it was interesting to me that that was, that was not even on my radar when I set out to do this project. The, you're right, the, the martyrs, the white martyrs of today who are working so hard to, to keep these, these shrines alive in many cases. And, and what comes to my mind is St. Mary's Mission and Museum in Stevensville, Montana. It's not specific, it's not actually a shrine, but it is a mission it was a mission founded by Father Desmet, who is a, a, a peer of Father Marquette, uh, and and this mission was founded because the Native American, the Salish tribe, the Native Americans heard about Christianity from some Iroquois Indians who were passing through, and they wanted that. That's the only that I could find. That is the only time you see this in our country where the, the Native Americans asked to be Christianized. But in any case, the, the people there, the, the director and, and the staff there, they're, they're working on just a skeleton staff, but they are working very hard to preserve this mission museum. And it's kind of hyphenated to look exactly as it was when it was first founded so that we really get a feel for what it was like and 
they are struggling for funds. They are struggling for volunteers. And here you have this beautiful tract of not only land, but this place of our history. And that really alarmed me, but then excited me because I realized that one of the things I need to do with this book, and and as I, I move on to speaking about it or, you know, whatever I can, however I can get the word out, that if we don't take these places seriously, we will lose them. They will disappear. And it's up to us. You're right. The, 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 those living today, it's up to us to make sure that these continue for the next generation and, and beyond. One of the things that we can do to ensure that these Marian shrines will be there is maybe when we go on a vacation, when we go somewhere, to see if there's a shrine to the Blessed Mother, a shrine to one of the saints, and to be sure to visit there. To Even if we're making a secular vacation, if we're at a tournament for basketball or baseball or whatever it is, that those are opportunities to maybe go and to see one of these beautiful places of our Catholic tradition. When I was down in New Orleans, I went down for the Feast of Our Lady of Prom Sucker this past year, and that was one of the things I wanted to do, was that I wanted to look for the other Catholic sites, and I found out, well, there's this shrine to Blessed Francis Xavier Silos, and so I went to that shrine, and I didn't know anything about him, but because I was curious and went out and sought information, well, I learned about this other figure of American Catholicism and the life, his life down there in New Orleans. So that would be a, a great thing uh, for anybody when they go on a little trip or Sometimes even if you're, for example, driving down to St. Louis, you'll see the shrine sign for Our Lady of the Snows in Belleville, Illinois. Well, maybe to make that sidetrack, to invite God to be a part of that journey that we're on. Why would you think a person should go on a pilgrimage? Of course, lots of people think of pilgrimage. I have to spend thousands of dollars. I've got to go with 206 tours or Select International or whatever company, <laughs> and they're going to take me to Guadalupe or to Lourdes or to Fatima or wherever it is. But yet, we have all these places locally. We have this idea of pilgrimages far away, but really, it, it can be so close to us. Why go on a pilgrimage? When we go on a pilgrimage... We are, in a sense, putting ourselves into exile. And, and I don't mean that in a bad, in a negative way. I mean that in a very positive way. You hear people talk all the time about how crazy life is and there's too many gizmos and so on and so forth, too much information, too fast. When we go on a pilgrimage, we are, we are voluntarily putting these things aside in a big way, not just spending an hour in meditation, but we're, we're striking out to find God. And this is what's so special about a pilgrimage. It's, it's a sacred journey. We're saying, I am right now on this path, and this is what matters to me right now in my life. Not, not anything else that's going on, but my journey right now as I search for God, his will for me, his words for me. And if we're talking Marian pilgrimage, we're setting out to find our mother in all of the ways that she works and all of the messages she has for us and all of the places that she dwells. So let's say somebody goes out and they go on a pilgrimage to South Dakota. So lots of American history out there, yes. And uh, the House of Mary Shrine, 
So if a person is going on a pilgrimage, they're going to go to the House of Mary Shrine. Well, what do they do when they go on a pilgrimage? Maybe people go on a pilgrimage or they visit a holy site. And I often say people don't know the history of these places, that they go, they're curious, they're onlookers, but they really don't engage everything that they can while they're there. So what would you do, for example, at the House of Mary Shrine in South Dakota? Well, what what I would do was would be a tiny bit of homework to start with and that would be you know all of, you can find these places online with beautiful histories so volunteers put lots of time into these websites so you get a little background and you know a little bit about what to expect and and I would definitely obviously you're you're going to want to to set aside specific time so if you're going there for say a vacation you're also going to want to make sure that you just don't, don't think to yourself, yeah, yeah, I'll get over there sometime during this vacation. But you really set aside whatever time it is that you're aiming to spend there and talk to, talk to the shrine director, talk to the volunteers, talk, talk to people. Because you're right, you could go there and look around and go, well, this is very nice. And, and then you go, you leave and it's just a little memory of maybe a statue you saw. But, but if you can talk to the people there, and listen to the background that they know. That's how I learned most of the content for my my book. A lot from from historical uh, annals, you know, histories and things of the the various sites. But to talk to the people, and they they would love to talk to you. They would love to tell you about the founding of that pilgrimage site. And they, you know, even if you're not a very outgoing person. Ask just ask a couple of questions, and and they will tell you all kinds of wonderful things. One of the things that, kind of in my own imagination, even sometimes when I'm sitting in my parish church and I'm praying my holy hour, that I'll envision, I'll imagine. And it just hit me the other day in my own parish church. I'm like to think of the other priests who have been there 50 years ago, who stood at that ambo, who proclaimed the gospel, who preached the message who gave homilies, who helped these people to uh, practice and live their faith. But the same thing is true at these Marian shrines, that there are so many people who have gone there, who have been devoted for years after years, for decades. They've been going to these places, and you'll meet them when you go to these shrines. You'll meet the people who are so devoted to them, and they'll make an impression upon you. Sometimes in France, for example, if you go to some of the churches, I've done a lot with Notre Dame de Bon Secours, Our Lady of Good Help, and the original devotion and tracing it. And one of the things with when I've been to the basilicas of Notre Dame de Bon Secours in France or Belgium are these little memorial plaques that they'll put on the church wall. You know, it'll be in remembrance of my healing or, you know, there's all these testimonies. So the fact that people have gone there before us, and the reality is people will go there after us as well. And that's just something to take in, I think, sometimes when you're at these shrines to realize that so many people have already come here and prayed. And now here I am, just like them, praying for my own needs and my intentions and giving them to God and trusting them to the intercession of Mary. So those are very beautiful experiences, I think, uh, from pilgrimages. Did you meet any of those diehard devotees at some of these shrines? I did, and often I they were they're hard at prayer, so I didn't you know I didn't want to I didn't want to disturb them, but but I, I definitely 
would bump into as I was walking people who come often, oh, I come here every day, or oh, I haven't been here in a while, I'm so happy to be here again. And and they too have their stories of how that place has spoken to them. And so, you know, I, I you're exactly right, Father, in that that's the the second part of this when you go on a pilgrimage like this is is not is to go to take in all the little things like you said sometimes it's something so subtle as a is a picture hey like, for example house of mary shrine has this picture in their saint joseph chapel which is a picture of rings around the sun that appeared while the the original group of people who founded that that shrine they were putting these crosses up at the top of one of the hills and these three rings formed around the sun as each cross went up and the the woman who owned the land that became that shrine caught it in caught all three of them in a, in photographs and they framed that photograph and put it to the side of the chapel there's no there aren't any neon lights. There's no arrows pointing, you know, here, everybody, look, look here, look what's here. It was only, in fact, I missed it. My husband was on, on the trip with me. I missed it the first time we were in that chapel. And he's the one who brought my, and I'm the one writing the book. He's the one who brought my attention to it as we were going out. He said, wasn't that picture amazing? And I was like, what, what picture? And then, of course, you know, we turned around, I went back in, and I really, really looked at it, those those little things. But then, but then the further dimension of that is not only noticing the little things, but to to spend dedicated time for as much as we can to simply listen to what God is saying to us in that place for our Blessed Mother to show us what we need to know about that place. What what dimensions, what's, what graces, what things are here for us? And she will. She will definitely reveal that to us. Maybe just lastly, as we talk about your book, My Queen, My Mother, A Living Novena, A Marian Pilgrimage Across America, of the nine shrines you visited, did anyone warm your heart, uh, in a sense, becoming maybe one of your favorite of the nine? Yes. And, and I would have to say that it's Our Lady of Sorrows in Starkenburg, Missouri. It's probably because it was founded by German settlers, and the stories reminded me very much of my grandparents, who who are who were they're passed away now, German immigrants, and so it reminded me very much of that. But but what struck me there is. And, and kind of put them at, like you said, that kind of warm place in my heart was, was what, what grew that shrine, so to speak, was, was this very humble, simple love for the Blessed Mother. And, and it wasn't, you know, it's not like they set out to, to even build a shrine there. It was their, they just wanted their parish church. They wanted to hear, they wanted to have mass and they wanted the church. And so they had, they went through all the steps to found the church and get the charter for the parish and so forth. And, and it was only by chance that they found this statue in a barn that had, that they'd been saying mass in before they were able to build a church of the Blessed Mother that they nicknamed the White Lady. And I just love that because they they 
fell in love with the statue of the Blessed Mother, and that became their, she was their mascot in a way. And, and that simple statue, just finding it, because they had nowhere else to say Mass. And so from there, then they, they built the church and then a separate shrine and, and so forth. But but there, the the church, St. Martin's, Martin's Catholic Church, which was founded in 1847, the church, it was a, this, the one that stands today, I believe, was, was 1873. But in any case, the church that is standing today is was left as it was when it was still a functioning parish church. They've kept it like that so that we can go and see exactly what it was like to sit in the pew of a Catholic church in the 1800s. And it is, for me, I, I felt history there. I felt that coming alive that we talked about earlier in the show where you could, I could just picture the people, I could hear the people. And, and I loved the place. I hated to leave it because it was just so heartwarming to me that these people, and here it is, you know, they, they, they came here trying to make a better life and they made this beautiful shrine. Well, thanks so much for sharing about all of these experiences that you've had at these Marian shrines. And uh, to move into the next part of our interview, I'd like to maybe just ask you a few questions about your own devotion to the Blessed Mother a way to build your Marian profile and really to show all of us that there are different ways that all believers love Mary in a very unique and personal way. So the the first question I always ask is, how about a favorite title of Mary? Oh, that's that's easy. Uh, the Mother Thrice Admirable. So so in the, the Schoenstatt Spirituality, we, we enthrone her in our shrines and, and in our homes as the Mother Thrice Admirable of of Schoenstatt. And and so that's definitely my favorite title. A lot of people will wear a Marian sacramental, maybe a scapular or a miraculous medal or some other uh, image of the Blessed Mother or bracelet. Is there any sacramental that you make use of? Yes, yes. I, when we make our covenant of love in the Schoenstatt spirituality, we are given a blessed medal to wear that symbolizes that covenant of love. It's a little, a little medal of our blessed mother holding the child Jesus. It's, it's a, a metal version of the, the image that we enthrone in our, in our shrines. And so that for sure, that, that I wear all the time. It, it never leaves me. I'm always with my, my covenant medal. There's a lot of different Marian prayers, of course, the most popular being the Hail Mary, which comes to us from the pages of sacred scripture, at least the first half. Is there a favorite Marian prayer? Oh, depends on which which ones I need and when. The the my my go to prayer when I am in serious need or don't know how to pray or or someone else is in a serious need or, or maybe we're just befuddled we don't know how to pray is is mother we have no wine or i have no wine ba- going back to cana now that's kind of a whole different you know it doesn't really have a whole lot to do with any of any of the the books that we talked about today but that that really is i think of her urging Jesus to to change the water into wine and so that's that's my that's my little go-to when I, I can't formulate a, a decent prayer and I'm just this pathetic child sitting in front of the Blessed right. Mother when when I, I want something a little more structured then then I I say the the 
little consecration that is included in the book My Queen, My Mother, at the end of each day's uh, chapter, the, the novena. It's, it's a little consecration, basically just surrendering to the Blessed Mother. And, and that, one, that one rolls off my tongue, oh, many times a day, many, many times a day. Often is to remind myself that, that I belong to her, so I better behave myself and think, think hard about what the next step I'm going to take is. A lot of people struggle with the rosary. Some people might think it's repetitive or they don't really think they engage the meditation aspect of it. Do you have any tip to help people pray the rosary better? Oh, I had learned long ago that if you can involve some physical activity with prayer, it's more engaging. So, so... You know, and I know not everyone can just go, you know, walking around somewhere. But often, even if I'm, you know, in these Wisconsin winters, if I've, I've, I'm kind of housebound, I will walk around even the dining room table praying the, the rosary. And that really keeps me on track. And it helps me to the rhythm of the steps, the rhythm of the prayers. That helps me greatly. And that is, for me, it's a very calming down. And, and if, if, my mind goes off somewhere else, well, then so be it. Then I just get back on track and keep going. Uh, also, listening to podcasts of the Rosary, I think for me, are, are very helpful. I, that really does help me as well, especially if I'm, you know, if I'm driving, then, you know, I don't want to be too focused on holding those beads. And so listening to a podcast helps a lot. How about a Marian Bible passage? Anyone that jumps to your mind as your favorite? Yes. Yes, and it's always she pondered these things in her heart. Okay. And Mary has appeared all throughout the world. She has appeared in Lourdes and Fatima, Guadalupe and Champion and Borang, Bono. Any favorite Marian apparition? Well, I think it really has to be Champion. Because it's so close. It's because it's so close, but her message really strikes me. Her message there, what did she, you know, what she said to the young woman that she appeared to, and I'm definitely paraphrasing, is, is teach the children. Teach the children in this wild country. And I keep thinking, when I look about, when I look about me and, you know, out into the world today, it for sure feels like wild country. And, and we need to continue to do that, to teach the children, to, to carry on the faith and teach the catechism, not only to the little children, but to the grown children as well. Your book, My Queen, My Mother, a Living Novena, features nine Marian shrines. Of course, there are probably hundreds of Marian shrines in the United States. Uh, is there any favorite Marian shrine beside the ones you covered that you find yourself either visiting or have a fondness for? Well, the Shunzad Shrine, of course. I mean, that's that's where my heart always is. But in terms of of in general, the Marian shrines, I do I do really like the the Shrine of Mary Help of Christians in in Hubertus, Wisconsin. So we locally we know it as Holy Hill. I really there's something about that place that is really nicely set for my my mind and spirit if that makes sense it, it just i feels it feels uplifting to me to be there lots of saints and writers to this very day have written so much about the blessed mother 
Is there any Marian book that has made an impression on you? Oh, many, many for different reasons. There, I there isn't any one in particular. Of course, I, I truly like yours, uh, a heart like Mary's. But um, in terms of someone who had a profound, you know, changed my mindset or impacted, I I I, I graze, so I tend to take a little from everyone I read. Sure, and. Uh... How about a favorite Marian hymn? So, of course, uh, especially on Marian feast days, maybe even this past weekend at your local parish, they with the May crowning, there were these different hymns, perhaps, that were sung to the Blessed Mother. Is there a Marian hymn that you often are humming or one that is just your favorite? Hail Mary, gentle woman, woman. I believe. I do. I and I hope I have the title right because that. It, see that. That's how often I hum it because I think of the word. I've got the words going in my head, but I. I don't know if that's the official title. But yes, that, I think so. That that song I would sing to my children when they were little, and it's really carried through for all of us. It's interesting that my one son was in the military for a time and he was overseas and they had a Marian, he was able to go to mass for the first time in many months. And it was a, a Marian mass. And they sang that, that hymn. And he wrote me later that he, he got all choked up because he'd remembered that from his childhood. So it's, it's kind of a, a theme for myself personally, but, but then also because it reminds me of my children. One final question, as we've talked about your book, My Queen, My Mother, a Living Novena, Marian Pilgrimage Across America, available from Ave Maria Press. But if people want to find out more about you and all the work that you do, where can you direct them? They could go to my website, margefenelin.com. And then also, just to let people know, you have a new podcast, Everyday Spirituality, which is with Breadbox Media, which is on their app. And I think you can probably download it in iTunes. So that's another way to follow you and to hear your wonderful insights about this spiritual life. So thank you so much, Marge, for joining me today to talk about your book and to share it with so many others so that really we can recover the sense of Marian pilgrimage uh, in our country. Thank you very much, Father. It's been a pleasure. So again, I offer a special thanks to our guests and also to Anna Nuzo for the music used in this production. You've been listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary. I hope it has either been the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. You can follow me, Father Edward Looney, on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at FR Edward Looney, L-O-O-N-E-Y. You can now subscribe to this podcast on all the podcast platforms. And also, if you don't mind, please leave a review so that others might be able to find it in the future. Until next week, let us remain united in prayer to Jesus through Mary. God bless.